Thank you. Hey, nice to have you here this morning as the worship team gets down. And, you know, I'm not going to cover that, that plant. That, that's too nice. Um, we've been talking about life at three miles per hour. And it, it, comes, it, it comes from the idea that Jesus walked with his disciples at three miles per hour. Now, I have, to, I have to admit, this is the closing message of this particular series. And I, have, and I have to say, if you think the series was all about you slowing down, that's wrong. Okay? If, it, if, 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 you've, if you believe that the series is only about taking a full life and a busy life that you're leading and force you to slow down, then you're missing a, a major part of what this series has been all about. Um, what the series has really been all about is you being absolutely clear about where you are investing your time. The time is vitally important. It doesn't matter whether you're in the season of life where, you know, you're taking care of a number of children. It doesn't matter if you're retired. It doesn't matter what it is. Jesus's intention for you is to live a life that is full, that is abundant, that is exciting, that is, you know, but it, but it has purpose and intent. Okay, two great questions to ask yourself. Why am I here and who am I here for? Those are two vitally important questions that you need to ask yourself about your life. And it doesn't matter what stage of life you're in. Is why are you here and who are you here for? You see, if you can't figure out why you're here, what, you, you know, what your purpose in life is, and we've talked about that a lot of times, and who you're here for. You see, who you're here for is equally as important. Because if you think you are here just for yourself, then obviously I don't have to explain to you what potential that has. Right? In your life. Okay? It is vitally important. And when you look at people, for instance, who are very successful and you go, why are they so successful? The reality is they have the same 24 hours you have. What you'll find is successful people, no matter what you know, area of success you're looking at, what they've been able to do more than anybody else is utilize their time better than most. And in fact, if I'm even going to push it a bit further, if, if I was going to ask you if you have any regrets in your life, I would almost guarantee that any regret you have in your life has something to do with time, has something to do with what you didn't do or what you, you know, could have done that you didn't do or spent time doing that you wish you had of. In fact, for you right now, there's probably something you would love to do with your life, and you f- and you have this kind of word hanging over you, going can't, and can't is not a good word in life anyway. So most of us, if we have any regrets, are almost always related to something having to do with time, you know. And you know, I, I read recently that the new pathology in North America is the pathology of busyness. Is that we are so inundated by things outside of our control, supposedly, that we are forced to, you know, run on the schedules of other people. I said, I said a, a while ago, and I, I, I just want to update you a little bit. Um, when Rogers crashed my email, at first it was panic. 
right? And at first, you know, I had that email. It was, I think it was 17 years I had that email address, and they crashed it on me within 20 minutes. And all of a sudden, I was, you know, I thought it was helpless, but I celebrate. I celebrated the day after when I was getting like one or two emails. It went from 100-something a day to one or two emails. Now, um, I'm, I'm doing like a dozen a day. I'm keeping, I'm absolutely keeping it up. And it is the most liberating thing. Because as, as I said a number of weeks ago, my schedule often was run by email. Okay? Um, you know, I have a policy. I, know I teach at Her- Heritage College and Seminary. I have, a, I have to have a policy with the school that when a student emails me, I've got to respond to them within 24 hours. What, what ended up happening is I was doing that with everybody. And there's people in my life that are emailing me and they demand an answer now. Okay? And there's times in my life that now is impossible. And they've actually gotten angry with me because I haven't responded to now. And now it's not going to happen for maybe another 24 hours, 36 hours, you know, whatever, right? So now I've got all these people mad at me. Um, I haven't responded. They're waiting, you know, all the, anyway, you, you know what it's like. You know what it's like. But it's absolutely been liberating that I'm now able to, to do my own schedule more so than some, what pe- other people are telling me my schedule has to be. Okay? It's very, very... I can't believe I even got on that tangent, but it's been very, very, you know. But, you know, life at three miles per hour also has to do with the important things that Jesus is teaching. Um, You know, um, I loved the picture of, or the phrase that I heard in, in, in one of the history books about the, the rabbis, that, that there was the saying that the rabbi would talk about that you need to get so close to your teacher that the, the dust from the sandals as they're walking in the sand would dust your clothes. And the more that your clothes got dusted by the dust of the rabbi, the more your life was being transformed by their teaching. And I think that's a beautiful picture. And, that's, and, and we've, we've looked at a number of passages that were significant teaching moments for Jesus. That as the disciples gathered around him and followed him and, and were dusted by the sandals of his feet, that there were some significant life lessons that he was imposing on them and, and, and teaching them that became very, very very important. Um, we're going we're gonna to bridge as we close out this series on, on, I think, one of the most difficult life lesson topics that we, we talk about in the Bible. Every one of us suffer in one way or another with this particular problem. And, and Jesus attacks it in a very interesting way. And Jesus talks about it in a way that, that doesn't simplify it, but appreciates the complexity of it, but it gives us some very tangible ways of dealing with it. And I think it's important for us to understand. Most of us know that Jesus, Jesus in, in many ways, talked about two paths in life. He talked about don't store up your treasures in heaven, right? He talked about that kind of thing because he said wherever your treasure is, that's where your heart is going to be also. And that was a, a, a beautiful truth that... Jesus gave about your heart. And remember we talked some time ago about the importance of the heart, that that's the place where God does his greatest work and the difference that it makes. Okay? I want to put up this passage here. 
Most of you know this passage and you've heard it recited, uh, you know, hundreds of times. Where Jesus talks about really that there's two different, different paths that you take in the world. No one can serve two masters. For you will hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Now, the translation is money, but, but in that context, in this particular way that it's translated, um, you could easily say resources. Anything that has to do with materialism, anything that has to do with resources is all about, is all about this thing called money. Now, it's all about what has mastery over you, right? And all that kind of stuff. Hey, Peter, how you doing, man? Good to see you. Right? It's all about what has mastery over your life, okay? And, and, and honestly, if you live in North America and you live in this culture, you know that there's a great tension between our faithfulness to God and the materialism and the benefits that we have of living in this culture, okay? It's easy to be, to be drawn away from a vital relationship with God because of the benefits that we have living in North America. And Jesus recognizes that and is very, very important. But here, here is, you know, and, and, and in fact, I would say this is what separates people. Okay? Jesus basically says this is what separates people. It kind of separates people to two different categories. The people who love God are committed and the people who love, you know, the benefits and the materialism that we have all around us. And sometimes we get, we get pulled in that direction. Okay? But here is what follows this verse. Immediately follows this verse. Jesus says, that is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life. Whether you have enough food and drink or enough clothes to wear... Isn't life more than food and your body more than clothing? Interesting, right? Because Jesus is recognizing that when we're driven by materialism, it becomes very, you know, nominal existence. Things that, you know, things become important. And Jesus is saying, isn't life more important? Isn't your body more important? All right, look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns for your heavenly father feeds them. And aren't you far more valuable to him than they are? Can all your worries add a single moment to your life? And why worry about your clothing? Look at the lilies of the field and how they grow. They don't work or make their clothing. Yet Solomon, in all his glory, was not dressed as beautifully as they are. I love Robert Frost. He wrote this. He says, the reason why worry kills more people than work is because more people worry than work. (laughs) You know, right? And, And Jesus... You know, this is beautiful because Jesus has just talked about where your treasure is. And here's the reality. You don't, you know, in that culture, in that culture, as it is in this culture, you raise the prospect of money. You raise the prospect of resources. You raise the prospect of, you know, materialism. It is bound to cause anxiety. It's bound to cause worry. It's bound to, you know, drive people to 
you know, a state of wondering if they're going to ever have enough. I've always said, by the way, I've always said that, that worry and anxiety drive people to act greedy. You may not necessarily be greedy, but worry and anxiety will drive you to act greedy because you're concerned about what tomorrow's going to bring. I think more people act greedy in this culture because it, it, at the heart of it is worry about are they going to have enough for tomorrow. And when you live in a culture that, that drives everything to a financial conclusion, right? That is exactly what is happening in our culture. I think, I, you know, um, anyway, that's, that's, my personal, that's my personal opinion. I think more people look greedy, but really what they are is worried. And it drives them to act greedy because that's the way our culture our, our culture pushes us you know uh, you know but that's the truth let's let's continue reading and see how jesus finishes off and if god cares so wonderfully for wildflowers that are here today and thrown in the fire tomorrow he will certainly care for you why here's here's this faith thing again why do you have so little faith why do you have so little faith isn't isn't one of the biggest concerns in, in, or one of the biggest areas of doubt in your life is, does God really care for me? Is God really out for my benefit? You know, you, you hear constantly all the time. How many times do you have to remind people that God loves them? As, as simple and as rudimentary a statement that that is, we are constantly having to tell people that God Loves you. And yet Jesus is saying, why, why do you have such little faith on something that is so common, so theologically simple, such a, a powerful truth? But why do you have such little faith? So don't worry about these things, saying what will we eat, what will we drink, what will we wear. These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers but your heavenly Father already knows your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else. By the way, um, and I, again, just an aside, seek the kin- kingdom of God above all else is actually a wisdom statement that comes out of the book of Proverbs. And Jesus is actually expanding on a very common um, passage. In fact, we looked at it as, as part of the sermon series. Remember the statement, guard your heart above all else? Jesus is basically, is a wisdom saying, saying um, to guard your heart above all else, you seek the kingdom of God above all else. That's that above all else. That's one of those wisdom statements. And Jesus is expanding on it. And live righteously. Again, part of the wisdom uh, books. And he will give you everything. Important two little words. You need. Not you want. Not you beg. Not you plead. Oh, uh, well, maybe I'm pleading, but, but everything you need. So don't worry about tomorrow. Wow, don't worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow will bring its own, what? Worries. Worries. Today's trouble is enough 
for today. Okay. Now, we can go home now. Okay? All right? You've read it. You've, you've taken it. Every one of you is saying, I know that. We instinctively know this. Why can't I act like it? Why does it continue to consume my heart and my life? Why is it? And, and let's face it. Worry is a special form of fear, isn't it? Okay? What they say... And again, I'm not the clinical person here, but, but I've heard that, that fear is this outside kind of force, you know, that, that, that kind of attacks you from the outside. Worry and anxiety happens inside. Whatever the outside forces are cause you internally to have this worry and this fear. And, and, that's, and that's what it is. And, and the thing is, often worry is a fear that's unpacked its bags and it's taken up a long-term lease in your head. You ever heard people say, this has taken up rent in my head? Okay? Worry has to physically be evicted in many ways. Okay? Now, let me, let me, let me tell you something. The, the, word, the word worry comes from the Old English to strangle. Okay? Or to choke out. Okay? That's what it means. And many of you know that you can get to a place of worry that it can strangle or choke you out. All right? But I'm not going to appeal to the Old English because I think that's incorrect. I'm going to appeal to the Greek. I'm going to appeal to the Greek. Okay? Because the passage is in Greek. All right? The Greeks have a totally kind of different... This word in Greek is slightly different. And in the context, I think it's far more, far more contextually accurate. Because in the Greek, it means to be pulled apart, to be pulled in different directions, to be distracted, to lose focus, to fall apart, okay? Those kinds of things. So worry in the, in the context of what we've been talking about, you know, we've been talking about living your life with intentionality, with focus, with purpose, with intent, you know, all, all of those kinds of things. Here is Jesus talking about worry, the things that, that you shouldn't be worried about, the things that are in God's purview. They're distracting you. They're pulling you away from what is important. They're, you know, they're pulling you apart. You feel like you're going in all these different directions, Okay? It's, a beautiful, it's a beautiful picture. That is why Jesus can say, seek first. Don't get pulled apart. Don't get pulled away. Don't, you know, don't get distracted. Seek first the kingdom of God and live righteously. And this worry that is pulling you away from God, that is pulling you apart, that is, that is kind of bringing all these distractions in and around you, that's what's causing the heart of, of your worry. That's what it is, you know? How many of you have ever met somebody who, because they're so worried, they're panicked? And you go, what are you panicked about? Or how many of you have met who are absolutely paralyzed by their worry? They're, they're paralyzed. And you're going, make a decision already. And they can't. And, and the fact of the matter is... They don't, you know, we don't even know what tomorrow is, and yet they can't make a decision because they're worried about what is a potential outcome that may never come true. We've all been there. Or compromised. You're so worried, they, they, they compromise their own values. 
or overdramatic in small things. Ever met somebody who just overdramatizes everything and it's just a weirdo thing? And you go, where is, what, what, what are you wearing? It's only a small, don't make a mountain out of, uh, okay. Okay. Unregulated or irrational. Irrational worry. Okay. Jesus is talking about all of those, are, you know. And what's worth is faithless, faithless worry. Faithless worry. So as we look at this passage, I want to give you a number of points to talk about that actually come out of this passage, but come out of real life as well. When we talk about life at three miles per hour, worry and life. The number one thing that comes out of this passage is it consumes the non-believer, but becomes illogical for the believer. Jesus actually talks about, you know, worry consuming the non-believer. And when you think about it, and he talks about why we so little faith. And he talks about that it's almost illogical for a believer to worry. Now, I don't know about you, but that troubles me greatly. Okay, is there, is there a place for honest concern and healthy, you know, worry. You know, I, I think there is. I think there is. But we all know, we all know that whatever's healthy on one side becomes unhealthy in doses. Okay? If we don't, if we don't manage the concern well, it becomes, it manifests itself in toxic worry. And that's the problem, isn't it? Is that we, you know, it's, it's, it's okay to be concerned. There's, there's some real things. But do we really offer it up to God and leave it there? And do we really say, Lord, you're in control of this. You manage this. This is yours to take. I am done with it. But we have every five-minute reminders going, Lord, have you got it? 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 Okay. And that's what ends up happening, right? It's basically, that is. And, and non, you know, worried about the necessities of life. He says that only for non-believers, this is only natural. Their dependence is purely on themselves. And if they can't supply for their own needs, where else do they have to turn? Where else do they have to turn? For the believer, though, God is reminding them that they have a heavenly father who cares for them and is taking care of their needs. Okay? And, and many, many of us struggle just with that very simple truth, don't we? A very basic truth. We read it to our children. I read it to my grandson. God takes care of you. Jesus loves you. And at three years old, he goes, he's lapping it up. But then we hit an age we had a time. We had a conflict. We had a situation. We had a circumstance. And, and, and it doesn't feel like that anymore. And it doesn't feel like that anymore. And Jesus has to remind people about some very, very simple thing. Here's number two. 
It can't change anything. Actually, that's not necessarily true. It changes your blood pressure. It changes your sleeping patterns. It changes your health, right? Okay? But in terms of the problem, it doesn't change anything. It doesn't change anything. You see, worry is our way of trying to control a situation we have no control over. And worry is the only thing that makes us feel like we're doing something about a problem that we have no control over. See, as long as the hamster is moving in the wheel in your head, right? Okay? And not only that, we don't let the hamster run, we just continue to feed it. And then the hamster gets so fat that your head gets a bit fat. And then there's no room for any other hamster, and he's all alone. Right? You can't put another hamster in to stop him. Okay? And you just keep feeding the hamster. Right? And then he's so big, you don't know what to do. You have to kill it. And then you're an animal cruelty person. All for what? Something that couldn't change tomorrow anyway. Are we? <laughs> That's in the passage. Trust me. <laughs> okay? <laughs> It's there, (laughs) right? But that's the reality, right? But it can't change anything. Here's another thing. It pushes God aside. It just pushes God aside, right? It's one of the fastest ways to derail your faith, and it pushes God aside, okay? Now, I'm not a scientist, and for those of you who are in the science thing, you know, I heard heard something a long time ago, and I've... And I I love this illustration. It may not be true, but it's a great illustration. So here it is. I heard that when a fog descends on a four city, on a radius of four city blocks, a hundred feet deep, that if you condense that fog, it would come in just one bottle of water. Now think about that. This one bottle of water that becomes fog fills four city blocks Right? And 100 feet deep. But that's all it is. Now think about your worry. Think about how that consumes all in your mind. When it's just a little thing. But it's there and it drills and it drills. And it drills. And it drills. That's the kind of thing that worry does. It creates this fog in our minds. It exaggerates the problem. And, and any, any, by the way, any problem in your life that gets exaggerated always diminishes God. You always work the problem. You never let the problem work you. And be clear about what the actual problem is. The more you exaggerate a problem, the more you diminish The capacity of God. And if you haven't realized yet, God is in the business of the impossible. That's that's his calling card. That's what he does. In the business of the impossible. Because God is most capable in those areas that you are most worried about. God is most capable in the area... That you are most 
worried about. Um, here's, the, here's the next thing. It forces us to face tomorrow's problems with today's resources. Didn't Jesus say, like, the worry of tomorrow? Right? Okay. You know, um, any engineers in here? Okay. People are like bridges. Imagine this. People are like bridges. We are built to take the weight of the moment, not the weight of the entire year. Same with a bridge. A bridge is meant to sustain the weight of the moment. It is not meant to take the entire weight of everything that's going to be on that bridge for an entire year all at once. Okay? Notice, you know, I, I, I love this path. I, lo- I love how Jesus said, why do you have such little faith? Seek the kingdom of God. Because today has enough troubles. Why? Push to tomorrow's troubles. You know what worry is? Worry is nothing more than mental debt. That's what worry is, is mental debt. It pulls from the future into the present something that you, you know, that bankrupts your future. Potentially bankrupt your, your future. Just like financial debt, you know. When you, when you get the, a, a, a huge burden of financial debt, it actually takes away your future. It actually curtails your future. It actually stops you from enjoying something tomorrow that you could presently have today. And you can't enjoy today because you've already taken from the future. And the more you take from the future, the bigger the burden today becomes. That's what worry does. Worry is nothing more than a mental debt that you've placed upon yourself, that you're trying to pay right now, that is, trying to, that is going to be payable tomorrow, and you don't even know what the bill is going to be. It's a mental debt, and one that often you can't pay. Okay? Um, here's, here's the next one. It cripples our ability to experience peace, joy, love, and even grace. And you know what? I could probably add a whole list of, of lifestyle pleasures that you miss out on. How many of you, how many of you, for instance, miss the moment and who you're with because you're worried about something that's going to happen even that night? And you miss, you ever talk to somebody and you know they're distracted? (laughs) No. And I'm not just talking about the smartphone. People have been distracted before the smartphone. A smartphone would have never distracted people if people weren't distracted in the first place. If you're a distracted type person, you're going to be distracted by something. And many people are distracted by worry, concern. Okay? And, and, and it robs you, you know, it, it robs you, especially of peace. Okay, you know, um, I, I don't, I, I, why, why do you think so much of the scripture talks about peace and, and, and 
placing your cares on Jesus and taking the weight of the burden that you live with and transferring it to God and placing it on. There, there's so much that we carry in our lives that we were never really meant to carry in the first place. Ever heard somebody say, I don't know how they're going through that without Jesus. How many of us have, you know, how many times have that, has that ever been said? Okay. I love this. I heard an African proverb some time ago, and I love it. It says this, Lord Jesus, make my heart sit down. Isn't that good? Make my heart sit down. Here's, here's the last one. It displaces prayer. Now, if it don't, you know, you know, or at very best, what it does, it creates very foggy prayers or very self-centered prayers. Okay? Um, you know, I, I, I've said this for, for some time. Um, you can often tell what's the biggest concern in a, people, in a person's life by the way they pray. Or what consumes their worries the most by the way people pray. Okay? Um, Because invariably, what we worry most about or what we're concerned most about manifests itself in one way or another in prayer. And that tells you in many ways what's on a person's heart, right? It displaces prayer. Um, I want to show you this last picture as we, as we close out the series. Thank you for slowing down. Okay? But it's not just about slowing down. It's about investing your time for God's glory and for God's honor. Now, I brought this up here with me today. called the koboloi. Now, I grew up with the koboloi. Whenever I would go out with my dad and all his friends, they'd all be sitting in the restaurant, and then they'd all be doing the koboloi thing like this. And I grew up thinking that they were worry beads because that's what I was told, that they were worry beads. They're actually invented by the monks uh, in the monasteries of Mount Athos. And if you've been to central Greece at all, and you know the, the monasteries there, and they developed them in the mid-centuries as prayer. And the koboloi means a rope of knots, where every knot represented a prayer that you would say. And I remember all the Greek men sitting there drinking their coffee and having the koboloi. And I was told that what this helped do is take the worries and concerns that you had on your heart and your mind and transfer them as prayers and kind of alleviate your anxiety because you had this thing in your hand. And it was a constant reminder, a constant reminder that God was ever present to hear your prayers, to take whatever was on your mind and to alleviate 
the cares of the day and place them into the hands of God. But I grew up thinking they were worry beads. And in many ways, it was a great example of what many people years ago recognized about the power of worry. That they needed something to physically move what was in their heads and in their hearts in a way that caused them to pray rather than worry. And as I've said many, many, many times, many times, you know, that passage of Paul, that pray without ceasing, you know, maybe something for you to consider. If you're a constant worrier, you are built to be a constant prayer. Because if you constantly worry, you can constantly pray. That's what Jesus is talking about in this passage. And instead, I'm selling these for $5, and you can have one of these. (laughs) And we can hang out together, (laughs) have our coffee at Williams or something, and everybody will know that we're transferring our worries to the Lord. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for Jesus' words here in this passage, how he recognized the cares of today, how they become anxiety and moments of worry, and how they can divert us from a vibrant relationship with you. Our Heavenly Father knows us, knows the concerns that are on our heart and on our mind, and and has given us so many opportunities in His Word to remember how things like worry affect us. So, Lord, for those here this morning who are consumed with anxiety and worry, Lord, help them to give those to you, be able to release them, to be able to take those and categorize them well in their own mind and transfer them into the language of prayer, something that you long to hear. Lord, you long to hear the difficulties that we have because you're shaping us and changing us and forming us into people who are more like your son, Jesus. And worry and anxiety and those things that concern us about the needs of life quickly divert us from that vibrant relationship. So Lord, help us as we attempt to live life at three miles per hour to take your teaching, to apply it to our lives, and to see the fruit of that when we do so. Thank you, Lord, for your goodness to us. In Jesus' name, amen.